Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, this guest is someone I've been trying to get for a very long time. He's become huge, huge. Um, He's a YouTuber. uh, He's a comedian. He's an emotional healing and life coach, an author and a speaker. Now, if you were to see him, you'd probably recognize him because he's got very long ginger hair. He shot to fame a few years ago because he has these very dry, satirical videos and they started to go viral. Um, He did videos like If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans. He did gluten-free satire, Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk, um, fan and video-based satires. And he's just gone huge, tens of millions of views uh, on social media. What I love about him is he kind of mocks in a very dry, funny way the industries that he's involved in. So he's kind of like a comedian and a coach in the areas that he, um, he you know, he he takes pot shots, I suppose you could say. Um, so he's a very unique uh, person. I've never really met anyone like him. Um, he explains how and why he started making his YouTube videos, how he made them go viral, how he started his coaching business. Um, we did actually get into some very deep spiritual stuff, which I was hoping for. I say right at the start of the interview, which JP am I interviewing? Uh, is it the comedian or, or is it the serious spiritualist? Um, this is JP Sears, by the way. I don't know if I've actually said who his name is. Um, and yeah, yeah, he rang rings around me for the first few minutes, as you will see. <laughs> Made me look like a bit of an idiot. Um, but then we went really deep, actually, into a lot of spiritual concepts, which I've wanted to do for a long time. So I think that this is really great. It's very unique. It's funny. It's spiritual with a great guest. So um, no more um, intros from me. Let's go straight into the interview with the one and only J.P. Sears. Oh, by the way, he tells you at the end what J.P. stands for. J.P., how are you? I'm good for a redhead. <laughs> I'm good for a red beard. Yeah, man. Our, our people have been through a lot. I know. I love the <laughs> beautiful yellow lab looking over your shoulder. Oh, yeah, that's my business partner's dog. Yeah, well, uh, your business partner is a beautiful dog. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for doing the interview. Very, very grateful. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Great. I'm Great. Ha- happy for us to be acting like we know what we're doing. <laughs> so which JP am I talking to? Am I talking to JP, the life coach, JP, the, the spiritual guide, or JP, the internet comedian? And I think it's funny that you would actually think I'd have an answer for you. I mean, nobody tells me, so it's always a mystery, even to myself, which one of those delightful people I am. But I think right now you're probably talking to the the middle conglomeration of all of the above. Okay. And um, how do you become, therefore, ultra-spiritual? 
And, you know, ultra spirituality, which is obviously one of the higher forms of human achievement, uh, how you achieve it is realizing that being ultra spiritual has nothing to do with being spiritual, like there's nothing, but it has everything to do with looking spiritual. So hence the long hair, uh, you know, you, it's good to wear lots of purple, have lots of crystals around you and hold intimidating eye contact with other people to assert your look of spirituality not to give away all the secrets but those are a couple <laughs> okay so let's say you um wanted to fake ultra spirituality and actually be really spiritual how would you do that oh i i don't think ultra spirituality is something you can fake just it's not going to happen you're you're either faking spirituality and therefore you're ultra spiritual, like in the best sense of the term, or you're not, but I don't think you can fake faking spirituality. That'd be a double negative. It'd be like you're accomplishing nothing. <laughs> if you wanted to try and teach fake ultra spirituality to others and like build an information multi-million pound business out of it, how would you do that? Uh, yeah, I, I think selling a course that teaches people that you have nothing to teach them because all enlightenment, all ultra spirituality is found within. And I think if you could teach that message and get people to learn that you have nothing to teach them, they would be in touch with one of the more priceless uh, uh, streams of consciousness they could ever find. So That'd be a course you could sell millions of for easily $17 a pop. Maybe <laughs> 19 I don't know. And then you could call yourself an influencer. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Rob, I'm not going to be too agreeable with you on that. I think the term influencer, it's getting watered down present day. I think there's some people who call themselves influencers who don't go the extra length to put picture the, pictures of themselves wearing thongs on Instagram. If these people don't do that, they're not a real influencer. I mean, it's like they don't even care. I feel pretty passionate about that. <laughs> and um, so what, you know, you are like the hottest person right now at doing bikini shots. So if yeah. you could teach other wannabe Instagram influencers to be more like influencers like you, what would you teach yeah. them? Yeah, you know, I had to learn the hard way how to go on Amazon.com and order a women's large thong bikini bottom. Realize like this isn't even big enough, but I'm going to wear it anyway because I care and I don't like to return things. And I didn't want to wait a few days to order another one. So, you know, that that took me a matter of hours to learn. But I think if I could pass that lesson down and accelerate people's uh, journey through the struggles and take what I took me hours and give them that lesson within minutes uh, so that they could be ordering large women's red thong bikini bottoms off Amazon so they too can be an influencer. I'd, I'd love to pass that along. 
hopefully when this podcast reaches millions of people, you'll know that, you know, your legacy is ringing true. Mm, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a treat. To see. <laughs> um, so your videos have gone pretty wild. Um, they're very successful, gone viral videos. Um, what do you think the, the secret is to creating these, these, um, this internet sensation? Well, being serious with you for just a second, <laughs> Rob, <laughs> I'm choking. That must mean my God doesn't want me to be serious, but screw him. Be serious anyway. <laughs> See who's going to win this one. You know, I, I'll, I'll probably throw a couple things at you. And I don't think it's just one secret. I don't think it's really any kind of secret. So I'll throw a bunch of non-secrets at you. One, I think a, a key to getting videos to do well is put out a lot of videos that don't do well. And, and that's that's not at all saying like put out crap. It's to say like, of course, do your best every time. But it's pointing to the virtue of consistency you know, for every video of mine that's gone viral, I've had, you know, a handful or two that don't go viral. So they're, they're not always going to be home runs. And I don't think the goal is for them to be home runs. Yet my experience of having a lot of videos do well is be very consistent with putting out work. Um, I think consistency is king when it comes to, uh, creative video content. I think honestly, really any kind of content consistency is really important. And then also, you know, in hindsight, I could see, you know, there's three ingredients that that tend to make videos do more well or weller or more gooder. Like, I don't know. I didn't go to college to I didn't pay $100,000 to learn how to pronounce all words correctly, Rob. And so I just went out and accidentally got successful like an idiot. Uh, so in hindsight, there's three, three things that seem to help videos do better. One would be entertainment and, you know, humor lends itself. It's just, it's an awesome form of entertainment. That's not everybody's authentic brand. I'm not saying it should be Yeah, We all have some degree of entertainment ability. That's, uh, that we have access to. So entertainment and then uh, a self-awareness is another one where you, you essentially get people in touch with what they think that they either didn't know they think or they haven't put words on it. So you say what everybody's thinking, whether they know they're thinking it or it's like a deeper thought. And, and then people just love that. It's like, yeah. oh, cool. And then the, the third ingredient that I think increases uh, shareability with videos would be inspiration. If you can get people feeling inspired, you know, the, the feeling emotion, not just thinking about something, but feeling emotion, especially on the, you know, the inspired side of emotion, that's going to make them want to watch your video more. It's going to increase the chances of them clicking the share button. So, you know, the uh, entertainment self-awareness and inspiration. And, you know, sometimes those are all very intertwined. You know, people can feel inspired emotion because they're entertained and laughing. 
uh, and they can feel self they can experience self-awareness because, you know, I might use the language of comedy to deliver a deeper perspective that reveals something through the lens of humor that they were thinking or that they're uh, seeing a lot. They just haven't put words to it. So but I think if everybody in, in their own way aims for entertainment, self-awareness and inspiration, it's it's going to add more momentum to the videos. Mm. And do you think you learned that because you were prepared to put a lot of work out there and maybe prepared to risk failing or some of your videos not doing so well? Yeah, and, and not, yes. And not only was I prepared to fail, but did fail uh, many times. And of course, failure is like relative term, but some videos I put out by some standards, okay, that failed. And looking back in hindsight, because I was willing to encounter that failure, I say, oh, like, wow, that that was lacking this ingredient or I wasn't being authentic with that or I wasn't being true to my voice. I might have been trying to say what I thought other people wanted to hear rather than what my real message was. So, yeah, not to sound too cliche, but the the failures are incredibly valuable when you look back on them, when I've looked back on them to uh, gain the lessons. And of course, sometimes we fail and because it's uncomfortable, we don't look back and, and soak in the lessons. And therefore, it's like we, we failed and it benefited us, yeah. nothing Mm. Your videos look like they're very well thought out, they're well researched, they're well planned, edited, uh, and paradoxically they also look very natural despite what I perceive there to be a lot of work in it. So could you sort of describe maybe the kind of work that goes into one of your videos that's really successful? Sure, yeah, my, my comedy videos, <coughs> excuse me. My comedy videos, I uh, I put in a lot of creative writing. So one video at a minimum has at least an hour of creative thought and writing into it. But more often, it's several hours over the course of several writing sessions. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'll rehearse the script and then I film it. And, and I like to to be simple. I like to move fast. I don't like to create obstacles that are going to slow me down. So up until a couple months ago, I was filming all my videos, camera on a tripod, hit record, boom, I go. Then I do all the editing in iMovie, something super simple. And then a couple months ago, I finally started working with a videographer, which is still super simple. It's, it's not a video crew, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that would slow me down. It's one videographer and he's, he's making my videos look so much better and I can still move very fast. And, and at this time I'm still doing the editing, which, you know, it's in iMovie and, and on a, a simple video where it's kind of like me talking to the camera or interview style, the editing is probably 45 minutes or less. And if it's a video where there's a lot of cutaway scenes, it might be three or four hours of editing uh, on the complex side. And, mm -hmm. and um, so, yeah, that's my process. And, and I uh, backtrack a little bit, the actual video shoot uh, working with now one videographer if it's a simple video, like the talk to the camera kind of thing, or talk to an interviewer, the video will probably shot, be shot in 45 minutes or less. 
And if there's different cutaway scenes, then, you know, that might be a two hour video shoot, probably three at the longest. So, yeah, yeah, all in all, you know, there's a good day's work that's accumulated into creating um, a four minute long video. Yeah. Okay. thank you. Um, So change subject slightly Um, for you. What came first? The the coaching and the you know the, the helping of other people, your life coaching, if we could use that term, or the comedy. Two different answers. Professionally, the life coaching came first, but on the personal level, the comedy came first. You know, as a kid, comedy was how I was always making my friends laugh, being the class clown. Also, how I dealt with pain, but also how I brought joy to my life. So that was always supernatural to me ever since I was a young kid. And then in my early 20s, I got into life coaching and I just treated humor like it was the enemy. It was just like so delusional of me. But I had a story in my head that said uh, it would discredit me Mm. if I was funny. You know, life coach is supposed to be insightful, sincere, kind of Eckhart Tolle like, you know, smart and helpful, but not funny. And I think also there was an insecurity at play because I was in my early 20s, usually working with people much older than me. So I I think I was trying to create the facade of maturity and coming across older than I was. So I think cutting out humor at the professional level was a part of that. But then in my early thirties, I think it was 33 when I released my first comedy video after about 13 years of doing life coaching work, I finally said, ah, I can't, I can't keep constipating my humor. I was having these ideas to convey some perspective through the language of humor through video. I can't not do it. So I released my first comedy video, uh, 13 years into life coaching and and, uh, you know, it turned out I was wrong. It, it wasn't bad for business. It was the best thing I ever did for business. And it, it, it did it discredit me, I'm, I'm sure, in the eyes of some. I mean, some people absolutely have an allergy to laughing at life. A hundred percent do. It's like they're gluten intolerant to it. Yet on the whole, it, it, it didn't discredit me. On the whole, it credited me. I mean... most importantly within myself, because it was the rite of passage of saying yes to my humor at a professional level that allowed me to be much more authentic, not hide my humor, thinking like, ah, this isn't going to go well, but just letting me be me. And and it seemed to work for me. I think it being doubling down on one's authenticity is always a win. I'd like to talk about that word in a minute, authenticity. Um, but like, if I could be a, um, an ob- observer from afar, um, you've just told us how, you know, actually being who you are has um, been a great liberation to you. You also have a very unique position, I believe. I don't think anyone does what you do quite like you do it. And it's funny because we're all striving to be unique when in reality you are and were unique. And when you honoured it and showed the world it, then you became it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, I think 
trying to be unique oddly enough makes you just like everyone else <laughs> who's trying to be unique. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I mean, not to sound too cliche, I think we are all unique and I think being as authentically our unique self as is true for us is, I mean, that's giving ourselves permission to be ourselves. And I think for life satisfaction, that's important. And I think in entrepreneurship, it's almost always a good idea. And I think as you pointed out, Rob, just to honor that, I my uniqueness might seem more unique than others. In other words, I'm weirder than the average unique person. I mean, long red hair, like right away that sets you apart and, you know, make you, here's an Instagram picture of me in a thong and, you know, the, my satirical sense of humor. So am I a little further from the, the deviation of normal than other people with my brand of uniqueness? Maybe. And, and if that's true, that's just me being unique. I think exaggerating our uniqueness isn't the goal. The goal isn't to say, oh, JP's out there or Rob's out there or Eminem or Lady Gaga is out there. Put myself in a class of... <laughs> it's not to say, okay, let me push it and be as unique as them. Because in that case, we're not being unique. We're wearing a facade of exaggerated uniqueness. So I think we got to be ourselves and let that uniqueness ride. Mm. Um, easier said than done. But I think that's really the aim, according to my delusional point of view. <laughs> and so this term authentic, um, I've, there were a few words which I captured, but then lost because I didn't want to interrupt you. What do you think the true meaning of authentic is? Because I just do feel that's a, a hard word to define and a word that a lot of people are going around telling everyone that they should be, that they're not themselves. Um, and like you said, even trying to be unique is then not authentic because you're trying to be something you're not. But if it was just as easy as to say, be yourself, then we'd all be happy, wouldn't we? We would be. And I think be yourself is some of the, the wisest and most useless advice you could ever counter. Yeah. Because when someone says be yourself, it doesn't it doesn't help you be yourself. And I think a lot of us don't know who we are. So it's like, how can I be myself when I don't know who I am? And with that said, I think being ourselves as much as we can, even when we don't know who we are, and being authentic means being true to uh, our feelings. So feeling our feelings when we're feeling them is part of being authentic. It's not glorious, but it's like you're sad. If you're happy, your joy, don't apologize for it. Be in those feelings. And then I think the other key to what I would call practical authenticity is would be voicing your genuine perspective, not trying to conform like what's going to make me avoid offending people or what's going to get me the most approval. It's, it's, being true to your perspective with your voice and being true to your feelings that are in your body. Yeah. Period. That's the best I have on defining authenticity. And I think on the shadow side of authenticity uh, and Rob, I think you pointed to this and, and forgive me if I put words in your mouth, 
yet, I'll say from my perspective, authenticity is absolutely a trendy buzzword mm-hmm. right now. And I think a lot of people are talking about authenticity and teaching about it in very inauthentic ways where they're treating authenticity as something you do to get better status or better business position. And I think true authenticity isn't something we do. It's not a social trend. I think it's something that we are. If we're connected to our feelings, being genuine with those in the moment, being genuine and honest with other people in the moment, and unapologetically voicing our voice, our perspective, then I think we're being authentic, not doing authenticity. So I think it's a good problem to have where authenticity has actually become so trendy that now there's inauthentic ways of being authentic. It's like, well, thank God. Thank God authenticity is in our ethos. It's in the zeitgeist enough that there's some attempt to sleazily capitalize on it. (laughs) So there's a couple of things, if I could just extend the discussion a little bit, JP. Um, So number one is I think there's a lot of people that are wrestling with being authentic by trying to be authentic in the search for who they really are. And in that search, they haven't found who they really are yet. And I personally think that's a a very noble thing because it's brave in itself to try and search for who you really are, even if in the moment you're not finding it. Um, And I wouldn't want those people to be shot down just because they're not being authentic because they're searching for it. And surely many of us our whole life, we are always searching. Yeah. And I love that. And and I don't think it's authentic to always be authentic. (laughs) I don't think always be authentic is the goal. And I think searching for a truer version of ourself, Mm. uh, I don't know of anything that's maybe more noble than that. I think it's beautiful. And I would dare say from my delusional point of view, the search becomes very fruitless when it's only an intellectual endeavor. You know, we might start reading the Joseph Campbell hero's journey kind of stuff and maybe the Carl Jung stuff. And we might be searching in our head. It, yet I think our our being our authenticity, it's it's not able to be fully comprehended by this faculty called our brain, which is a great faculty. I don't want to live without it. I think it's awesome. It's powerful. But I think if our search for our selves, our authenticity includes action, if it includes risking living life through relationships, taking risks when we're inspired to start the new business, uh, put something out on, uh, you know, voicing our perspective, when it includes adventure, I think those are those are the components of the searching that really count a hell of a lot more than what's going on in our brains. Because when you, you know, just use, use the term hero's journey, that's, that's not something that's meant to be an intellectual endeavor. It's meant to be a lived experience. So, you know, when we're searching for who we are by trying different things, we don't realize we're searching for who we are. We, you know, we think we're actually living life proactively and with ambition 
And, and that's the real search. Yeah. And it might dawn on us every once in a while. Oh yeah. And this means I'm searching for who I am. I think that's awesome. But what, for those of us who walk around with the mindset that always says, I'm searching for who I am. I'm searching for who I am. Most of the time when we're in that position, I don't think we're really searching for who we are. I think we're telling ourselves that. I think we're maybe being our, in our heads about it. But I think, man, we need to be embodied. And if we're not scaring ourselves to death, at least once every couple of weeks, we're probably not truly on the trail of searching for who we are. Okay, thank you. So, According to my delusional point of view. <laughs> feelings. So I'm going to say bye to everyone on the live because I only want them to get a little bit of the uh, podcast. So thanks for tuning in live. I sometimes think how we feel is actually, you know, like a lot of talk, people talk about instinct and intuition. Well, I think sometimes it's wrong. And I think a lot of people, oh, you've got to trust your instinct and your intuition, but you haven't been doing something long enough. You're not that experienced. You've got other emotional baggage going on. I think your instinct and intuition can be wrong. And I mean, if I express my feelings all the time in a truthful way, no one would want to spend any time with me because there's a lot of range of emotions going on. And, sure. you know, I used to be a very angry person and I think I've managed that well over the last 12 years, but it still happens inside. And the way I talk to myself is not the way I want to talk to anybody else. So is there a balance here of being true to your feelings and expressing your truth, but also knowing when to not express them and sit on them and observe them and actually not continually expressing the truth? Yeah, you know, I think I love what you said. And to me, what you're talking about is humbleness, knowing that we don't know. I think so many times we're in that realm where, you know, we can, we can ultra spiritualize ourselves and say like, okay, my instinct and intuition, all the answers are found yeah. within. Yeah. And we're maybe setting up a business, <laughs> doing something we've never done. It's like, all right, screw that. All the answers are found within. And in reality, it's like, yeah, not many answers are going to be found within on this. <laughs> and, and that's maybe why there's other people on this planet, mentors, coaches, colleagues, who have been where we're going, they've been there before. So now's a good time to ask who, who can I consult that will be wiser than my instinctive or intuitive feelings. And I think honestly, hopefully in those moments, maybe our intuition is saying like, ask, ask yeah. someone, but sometimes we're afraid to receive. We're afraid to appear like we don't know, even though we don't know. So we, we say, okay, let me do this myself. And honestly, I think, Here's, in, here's something coming up, Rob. Feel strongly about this. <laughs> I think a blessing and a curse that so many entrepreneurs have, including myself, is self-sufficiency. Sort of a, I can do it all and I will do it all attitude. Like, it's obvious how well that can work out for us. Like, you don't want to trade that. You want to be self-responsible, self-sufficient, resourceful, but when we get glued in that, when, when like we start worshiping the religion of self-sufficiency, then we forget the exponential leverage of other people realizing like I can learn in 10 minutes what might have taken that person 10 years to learn. And that can save me years of error, which might cost me obviously time, might cost me a lot of money, not to mention might cost me 
you know, revenue that I would never earn. So I, I think as entrepreneurs, we got to figure out the humbleness and realize we need to ask, we need to have a beginner's mind at times. And do you, I, uh, are you aware of who uh, Dean Graciosi is? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of days ago, I was at, I was speaking in an event called genius network yeah. and I'm backstage with Dean Graciosi. And what do you think I did? You were sick. I was sick. And while I was sick, right, were you really sick? Yeah, I was a little sick. <laughs> but what I did with Dean, and, and if those of you who don't know Dean, and, and you probably do, Dean has done over a billion dollars in sales with a lot of it's through real estate and uh, teaching courses on how to make a lot of money with real estate. So Dean is a wise dude. He's been doing it for a long time and he's been doing it amazingly for a long time. So what I did was I shut my mouth and listened. Mm. I leaned in. In fact, I've even put a picture of myself on Instagram. Someone took it. I'm like, oh, that's a cool picture. I was literally leaning in, mouth shut. And all I would do every once in a while was ask another question. And looking at my intuition and instinct in those moments, it's like, screw you. Dean Graziosi is in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with that said, I also don't want to discount our instinct in our intuition. They're there, they're biofeedback. But I think something is only intelligent when we have the intelligence to discern when to pay attention to that source of intelligence. If we're only paying attention to it, I think it's going to mislead us. Mm. You know, I'd be discounting being in the room with Dean Graciosi, discounting mentors, coaches. So, yeah, I I, long story short, I'm excited about the thought you put on the table, Rob. And I I don't think there's a black and white, like when to know, listen to my intuition and instinct versus when to ask someone else, but I'm curious, you had the wisdom to put that on the table. Do you have any other thought to put into the, uh, the riddle of it? Yeah, I have loads. Um, one thing you've um, triggered me to, to, to say is like, I've had periods in my life where I've maybe overblown or underplayed myself. So maybe when I was a kid and I didn't feel I got a lot of attention at school, I would, you know, make lies. I've got a remote control car. I've got this. I've got that. Ultimately, I wanted to impress people and I was trying to be or do or have things I didn't. Um, And then I know over the last few years, as my brand has got bigger and better, I sometimes don't honour what I'm good at. And there's some false humility because I perceive that people will think I'm a bit cocky and brash if I start saying how much money I made and what I've done, even though it's a fact. And I I think the conclusion I've come to is that self-awareness, which I think is an ongoing questioning, is really knowing what you are good at and owning it and really knowing what you haven't yet done and got, like you being around Dean, knowing that he knows more than you in areas. That doesn't make you better or worse than him because he's looking at you going, wow, you're an amazing speaker. You're, You're great at what you do. So for me, I think wisdom, if you like, or good self-awareness is really knowing what you're not good at and being able to be vulnerable or brave or whatever to say, I need help. It doesn't make me bad. You know, like, you know, "Ah!" but then when you're good, stand with some volition and go, I'm actually good at this and kind of own it. And then not worry about how you're perceived when, because, you know, if you say you're good at anything, no matter how you say it, people are going to say, oh, well, you think you're great. 
So that's a search I've been trying to go through my whole life is nowhere I'm slightly exaggerating. Calm down, Rob, because marketing can get you in that road, can't it? You know, like sure. you're trying to make claims. But then also go, no, actually, you know what? I can do that. Yeah. So that's my response to you is that constant search for being honest about what you can do and what you cannot do and getting help with what you can't and really owning what you can. I love that. Being honest, self-awareness, therefore being honest with oneself. I think that's very wise. So I do have another question. Well, I've quite a few questions for you, but there's something else. You said a blessing and a curse, and I'd like to jump on that because I feel like if we look at everything, it is simultaneously a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Really making loads of money, but too busy, can't manage my time very well. Uh, um, you know, in control of your time, but maybe not, you know, pushing forward enough. Single and free, but, you know, uh, not in a relationship and pining right. and blah, blah, blah. So like I, I worked out, I've spent about 1.4 million pounds in the last 12 years on personal development. And that's either really impressive or really bad. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. So like courses, mentorships, masterminds, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, on the one hand, I feel like all the personal development I've done has been a great gift in helping me grow as a person and become more self-aware and manage my emotions, which helps grow my business. But also I beat myself up because I feel like I should know more because I know more. And the curse of personal development is, you know, so much, but you're still not perfect. Yeah. That, I think that's the plight of, uh, I don't know if it's some kind of proverb. Let's just pretend it's a proverb, <laughs> yeah. like an English proverb. There's none of them. They're always like Chinese proverbs or <laughs> yeah. maybe an African proverb. So there's a British proverb that says, you know, wisdom is knowing what you don't know. It, learning is you learn more and you start to become aware of what you're unaware of. And that's why I think if one doesn't have humbleness and compassion to say, and it's okay, it, it can be it, the fires of the ego can really burn us where we get more and more insecure knowing how much we don't know. And, and I think that can be a problem. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants their consciously, nobody wants their self growth or their entrepreneurship to be a path of destruction, but blessing and curse, the curse of it, it can be. Yet if we do our best to have the humbleness to realize like, yeah, I know what I don't know, which is like most things, <laughs> but the compassion to say, and it's okay. Then I think the self development entrepreneurship will be a little bit more on the constructive side. And I think realistically, we're never going to be just all in one category or the other. I mean, I notice myself, I'm always flip-flopping. I was at a, a Brendan Burchard uh, uh, event, uh, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago. And the whole time I'm shaming myself. Oh, what an idiot I am. I've been missing out on all these millions because I haven't had these funnel system sequencing in place. And what an idiot. I've got the audience. So it's like I'm yeah. destructive, destructive, destructive at the self-development course. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, a few days into it, I realized like, oh, 
it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I don't need to really shame myself that I haven't been doing this. Mm. I can kind of switch course and get excited about what I can do now and be really okay. Like JP, it's okay at Brendan Burchard and others are further along this trail than you. It is really okay. Uh, because yeah, so I, I flip flop, but the beauty is, is flopping after I flipped because it, you know, I've probably spent months, I've honestly probably years in the beginning of my journey on the destructive side, which is very paradoxical. The, you know, the personal development leading to a lot of self-destruction. And actually that's one of the reasons why I started doing my comedy videos on personal development and spirituality, because our spiritual path can make us very unspiritual. Our personal development can lead to a lot of personal destruction. If we don't have what you mentioned, the awareness Mm. and the honesty with ourselves. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Thank you for taking your time out. Um, I just want to respect your time. How long have you got left? Seven hours. Okay, great. That's good. I demand you spend every minute of it with uh, me, Rob. If, if, I'm lonely. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, you may wish you never said that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Carrying on the conversation and then I'll do some quick fires. Sure. So... It's funny that you said that you compare yourself while drinking pond water. Which pond did you get that from? The closest one. Yeah. It's got all the diseases you'll ever want. So do you drink the immune system? (laughs) Do you purposefully drink it out of a jar that you look like you took out of a biology lab just for effect? I think that's that's actually 100% true. Yeah, cool. All right, great. So you were saying how, you know, you're there in front of Dean, you're there in front of Brendan, who are obviously big names in the, you know, in the American influencer space, if we can call that, comparing yourself to them when, of course, many people are inspired by you. And, And that's another one of those chaos order, chaos order, destructive, constructive paradoxes whereby... You know, it's quite motivating. Like, I'm really motivated speaking to you because you have a greater reach than me and your videos have gone very viral and I want to learn from that. And I'm able to sit here and go, but I'm OK at being me and I'm not comparing myself to you. But five years ago, that would, this would have been an awful experience for me because all of my yeah. emotions have been going through. Um, and I guess a, perhaps a great gift we can do is to respect and admire people and learn from them, but not put ourselves down in the process beneath them because... We've got skills and talents and things that we've done that Brendan Bouchard and Dean Graziosi and other people haven't done. 100%. Yeah, I think comparison is a lethal poison Mm. that nobody other than us is going to inject into ourselves. And I, a, a little trick I'd love to share it with people that helps me get out of the trap of comparison. Cause I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to the the idea that when we compare ourselves to other people, a lot of times we don't actually know we're doing it. No. So it's like we're drinking the poison without knowing we're doing it. <laughs> but would you be interested in getting out of that trap? I know I would. So one way I do that, it's not, not perfect, but one way I help myself out of that trap is I notice when I'm criticizing others. I think we criticize others, especially others that, Deep down inside, maybe at the surface level, we deem them more successful than us. 
But what makes us want to criticize them is we're comparing ourselves to them. We feel bad. We maybe feel insignificant. So the outcomes, the criticism, trying to make them less significant in our mind's eye so that we don't have to feel as insignificant. So notice yourself when you're criticizing someone. And then notice that step two is ask yourselves, what am I feeling insecure about right now? So you're a human being, you're going to be feeling insecure about something like that's, it's not if, but it's what, what am I feeling insecure about right now? And at like with Brendan Burchard, I'm like, oh, feeling insecure. He, he probably makes tens of millions of dollars more than me. Yeah. I'm feeling insecure about that. We just got in touch with something real. If you can put the reality into words, you're, you're not going to be confined by concealing it, misdirecting it through criticism. You'll actually probably start processing that emotion better. Or like I've been at events where Tony Robbins is going to be speaking and I'm backstage and in come these like four huge, intimidating looking bodyguards. Like you fucking asshole just <laughs> taking up space back here. And I think it's like, oh, yeah. And criticizing this experience because mm-hmm. I feel in, I feel like I'm less important than Tony Robbins right now. What an insecurity. So mm-hmm. notice the criticism of others and ask yourself if you're willing to be nice to yourself. Ask yourself, what am I feeling insecure about right now? Don't shame yourself for feeling insecure, but let it be okay you feel insecure. Mm. And then... If you're able to do that, then you can take the position of learning from them, which is the greatest gift you can get. Also, criticizing them pushes them further away from you. So you're never going to be able to be in the same space or do business with them. And, you know, like I, I, I try to do what you try to do. I try not to criticize and I'm not perfect. And occasionally my emotions are just too strong and stuff leaks. Try not to beat myself up about it, which I often do. But I feel dirty after I've criticized people. Like, you know, like a hangover or something like that, or all the old food boxes there the next day that have gone a bit moldy afterwards. I just never feel good about criticizing people. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, like it's children that emotionally react to everything. So if we can try and actually notice our emotions and manage them and then maybe not say things, then then we're different to children. Um <laughs> <laughs> and if we don't, maybe we're not different yeah, than immature yeah. children is the reality here, yeah. like then, it or not. And then if we make a mistake about it and we know better, we don't then go and beat ourselves up that we should have known better. And we just try yeah. it out. Yeah, amen to that. I, I think one of the, the, the common denominators I've seen in really successful people, both, you know, internal success and external success, you know, preferably both, one of the common denominators that they all have is they ferociously learn from other people. Hunger to hundred percent. And I think you, Rob, you really pointed out a huge insight of when we feel insecure, we get criticized that pushes us away from those other people, whether we know them personally, it's like, okay, now there's going to be some level of distance or maybe we're just looking at the idea of their courses or their books and we like, Oh, they're just, they're in it for the money. Like out comes the criticism. So it's like, okay, we put up a barrier. We distance ourselves. We're not going to learn because we're not willing to be in touch with our insecurity. 
And I think that becomes a primary obstacle of success. But we get to fall into the beautiful place that in, makes so many successful people of ferociously learning from other people, which means you got to get beyond the criticism so that you can connect to them and have the humbleness to learn. Mm. Great. Thank you. So, right. Um, I know that negative thinking is work you've explored a lot. Um, so just load the question up a bit at the start. And then if you could answer if that's OK. And that is that, um, you know, I used to be very negative and very skeptical about everything. I did a load of personal development. And then I was one of these guys running around being positive about absolutely everything, i.e. completely delusional. And I feel like maybe I found that middle ground whereby negative thinking actually does serve a purpose. Just like you said, emotions that are strong, notice them, feel them. So I'm not so much into being positive and a massive positive movement because I feel like if we if if we don't own and honour the purpose of negative feelings, which I guess is or um, thinking, which is feedback. Um, so what's your take on negative thinking and how to balance it and manage it? And sorry that I loaded the question up a bit, but I um, just would like your thoughts on that. Yeah, I love that. And I think we see it from a very similar perspective. Certainly be fine if we didn't, but I think we do. And I think when when someone drinks the Kool-Aid and says, okay, positive thinking, uh, that's all I can do. I, I can only think positive thoughts. They're operating with a very negative view of negative thinking. <laughs> and, and I think that negative negativity swamps them. And and I think one of the challenges of I can only do positive thinking because the negative thinking is bad, then what we're in is called denial. Mm. So I think realistic thinking is ideal. And I think seeing a positive point of view and a negative point of view is freaking helpful. Mm. I don't think we'd necessarily want to lodge ourselves at either one of those extremes. I think we want to acknowledge the extremes so we're better informed so we can find the place of balance in between. So it's like, Rob, if you and I were launching some new venture together, some online business selling purple t-shirts, for example, and I came to you and said, oh, uh, Rob, here's, uh, here's a market we don't want to explore. And, you know, here's a problem. It's like, cool. It, if we're open to that, we're going to be better informed. But if it's a JP, only positive thoughts around here. We're not yeah. going to acknowledge the negative of that. Then we're going to be very limited. So I think acknowledging negative thinking and positive thinking is being open-minded, well-informed. I think it's not optimism or pessimism. I think pessimism is when we are dogmatically stuck in the negative point of view. I think optimism is when we're dogmatically stuck in the positive yes. point of view. And I think there are huge downsides to both. So it's like, uh, the mind only work. Uh, the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. And if we're only seeing something from the negative point of view, I think we have a closed mind only seen positive. Yeah. We have a closed mind, but I think, and let's see the whole thing yeah. be better informed. So it's, I really loved what you said at the start of, of your answer, which I'd never really heard before, but only thinking positive thoughts is very negative towards negative thinking. That was a bit of a mind bender that I had to sort of get my head around. But I think that's very wise. I think in my areas of life where I was the most positive, I was actually scared to go anywhere that was negative. So it was more, in, in a way, more fear based. 
Um, but, yeah, which is which is a bit of a paradox. Hence, it's a mechanism of denial, mm. not self improvement. Yeah. Even though you might tell yourself, "This is for self improvement. Yeah. I'm just going to do positive thinking." When in truth, the reality is, no, it's a mechanism of denial because you're actually scared and you're too scared to be scared. So you're in denial and therefore you're this manic person pretending that the positive point of view is for self-construction. Do you think money is a spiritual form? Well, I think it can be. I think what makes something a spiritual form is when you can see how it connects to the rest of life. Uh, so in other words, if people use money and use their relationship with money in a way that makes them more connected to other people, more connected to the world around them, mm. more connected to themselves, then I'd say, yeah, it's a spiritual tool for you. Mm. And I think other people use money for separation to disconnect. Like uh, I'm exclusive. Like I make a lot more money than you and I'll only go places where there's not people like you. And uh, uh, I need to be better than them. I need to be better than I was. Uh, I think that separation is the opposite of spirituality. So I think in those cases, money would be essentially anti-spiritual but i think it's really the mindset that's using money that's anti-spiritual or the mindset that's using money that makes money a spiritual thing mm. well, i love that yeah um i'm curious if, if you have any thoughts on, on that <laughs> yeah I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this but <laughs> I, you know, you've got to go at the top of the hour which is soon so i'll be quick and then we'll do some quick fire um so, yeah, like if you're an artist and you can afford better canvases, better materials, you can travel the world to see some of the most beautiful landscapes to paint and you can also pay all of the travel and expenses and overheads to be able to be free to paint, to express beautiful art, then money is very spiritual and money fuels your spirituality and call it spirituality, creativeness, art, product, service, idea, you know, I, I, I don't separate all of those forms um, and I think that there are a lot of very spiritual people who are quite anti-money or anti-capitalism or anti-this because they haven't been able to connect how money can fuel the yeah. art you know if you like you, you will be able to do better work now you can hire a videographer and if you could hire a great editor and have a great camera then that hopefully improves your art and then that art inspires more people um, yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, I've, I could talk to you for a week on this, but I'm going to leave it there. But 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 that's my thought. And so I kind of wanted to ask you that because I want to do leave a message to people who are maybe don't have a good relationship with money, that yeah. you could use money to actually increase your mission, your message, your art, your passion. Um, and if that means you need a private jet to travel and that helps you do your work, because Gandhi was very expensive to travel around the world. Um, uh, it's actually, you know, like if you study it, he t cost a lot of money to put him through around the world. He needed security and everything else. Mother Teresa used to raise money from big capitalist people who were in trouble with governments and broke the law because she would see it as cleansing the money. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there because I, I, I think we could go on this all day. Um, but I would just love to encourage people to see money as a, a way to be better, give more, do better, rather than it being dirty. Because, you know, money is a human construct. Uh, 
So anything yeah. that's anything that's evil is from man, not money. But people think that money is evil, but it's man. Yeah, you know, money is like water. It's just power potential. Water, you can use that to enliven someone, like be well hydrated, for someone who's thirsty, or you can use water to drown a person. Mm. And I think money's the same. It's how we're, it's the person approaching the money. And, yeah. and, and I think it takes a lot of conscious choice to use money, use water for the benefit of all. I mean, you can make a lot of money and be like, okay, I'm going to the strip clubs. Like, yeah, let's, let's party with the good liquor this weekend. Like, okay, that, but if you make a conscious choice, like, let me get aligned with some charities here, really do some work. Let me use my money to put out more videos, more courses so that I can help people help themselves in their lives. That's a conscious choice. It's not going to accidentally happen. Right. So I'm going to ask maybe six more questions, but I'll let you answer them as quickly as you like so that we're not late. So what, what is it to be happy, JP? Man, that I would say what it is to be happy is to be accepting of yourself, not for how you want things to be, but how things are for you right now. Is happiness the right dream to chase? Uh, no, no, because I think a lot of us don't know what happiness is. I think a lot of us are chasing gratification but calling it happiness. And I think oftentimes gratification subtracts happiness in our life. So we start chasing more of what we call happiness. That's actually gratification. So we have less happiness in our life and it's can become a downward spiral until we're gratified to the gills. Yeah. But we have no happiness. So uh, I think chasing two things, self-acceptance and growth. To me, those are the pursuits that feel better to me. Yeah. And the, the paradox of growth is that it's a struggle to grow. And, there, and that's not in that moment happiness. 100%. But, but the reward at the other end of the challenge when you feel fulfilled is more happiness. Yeah. Great. Um, so what's the best advice you ever received? It's a great question. Honestly, um, I think it's a terrible question, but it does give good answers normally. So, yes. <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> um, nothing is as it seems. I don't even know if that's advice, it's perspective, but nothing is as it seems. Uh, that's taught me not to believe my beliefs, not to just dogmatically believe how things seem to be for me. It's really taught me to be open-minded and open-hearted by realizing nothing is as it seems. I think that's totally um, accurate with people as well because we react to their emotions not knowing what pain they're going through. Yeah. Okay. What's the worst advice you ever received? Man. Yeah, uh, this won't come out in a specific soundbite, uh, but trying to emulate my mentors was, it's something I somehow fell into. I Be like that person um, was a mindset I was in for quite a bit, and it, it maybe served a purpose, but ultimately it was pretty crappy advice. 
that I was living, even though it may never have been directly told to me. So even like your mentors who might be amazing, like don't be like them. Let, let, let them inspire you to be more like you. Mm. Is there one thing in the world that you feel strongly is wrong that you'd like to change? Yeah, blaming other people. You know, in, in America right now, we love to scapegoat everything onto our president. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of his, but I'm not a fan of blaming what we don't like in our lives on him. So I think how people project themselves onto other people, that's called blame, and don't own their experience of themselves. They don't see who's looking in the mirror. Instead, they just see the mirror, yeah. don't like what they see, and then blame the mirror for it. Mm. So I think the solution for that is radical self-responsibility, where when we look at what we don't like about other people, even the president of the United States, we have the wisdom and the humbleness to ask, what does this say about me? This podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? I'm wearing the T-shirt, just got my merch. Yeah, right wow. on. beautiful shirt. Beautiful <laughs> shirt. Yeah, a disruptive means breaking normal. I think it, it it can mean we become the human being instead of the sheep walking in the herd and we break the normal. So it's a pattern interrupt. And that can be by expressing our weirdness, our uniqueness, our perspective. I think there's a lot of forms that could take, but honestly, it's it's breaking normal. And I think normalcy is the worst disease that infects human kind. And I think being disruptive is a beautiful cure for the worst disease there is. Love it. We need we need that little soundbite. Uh, OK, uh, two more. Um, one is you've definitely gone viral and big and wild and, and, and very successful. And of course, people won't know all the hard work you've put in or a lot of people won't know that over many years. So how has your recent success impacted your life? Oh, yeah. Uh, dramatically, things are always changing if I allow them to. You know, we mentioned growth earlier and how you mentioned, you know, like discomfort change yeah. is part of growth. So in order to allow the growth to happen, I have to change. I have to adjust, adjust the center of gravity of my life. That can be hiring new people. It can be letting go of old things. It can be doing something I've never done before. So a willingness to be uncomfortable, to adjust and change to the, the tides of life now, not how they were a year ago or two years ago, has been instrumental yeah. for me. And I, I, I'm not going to claim to be perfect, yet I'm actively doing my best to adjust and change. Great. Now, finally, then, where can we follow you? Um, I know you've written a book recently. I don't know if you want to tell us about that or just anything that you're actively promoting that we can go and have a look at. Yeah, you know, I'm going to throw two things at you. You can follow me on all my social media. My handles are Awaken with JP. Uh, just all, all the usual places, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. And then I'm also super proud of my newly launched podcast. So I can't oh, not great. mention it. <laughs> it's called the Awaken with JP Sears show. And it's all about self-help to really help people get stories and perspectives on 
uh, overcoming adversity, people rising to greatness, dealing with their challenges, because I want to help people uh, accelerate their lives so they can save time and increase the quality of their life, their happiness, their relationships, their careers. Um, yeah, I, I just want to help people do that. So my podcast, uh, I think, helps people with that. So you can check that out. iTunes, all the podcast places, the Awaken with JP series show. Great. Well, I'll definitely be listening. I have heard you on a couple of other podcasts, JP, and always really enjoyed listening to you. And um, oh, I, I, I must admit, I was quite nervous doing this interview. Um, I actually get nervous doing them all because I generally tend to interview people who I really admire. And then mm. I get all those insecure feelings that we all get. But also, I didn't know which JP I was going to get. And I feel like we got the, a great mix of both. The hilariously yeah, funny right guy on. and also, the, I think, you know, a lot of your serious work needs to, the world needs it as well. So thank you for doing that work as well as all of your sort of more popular work. Um, oh, thank you, Robin. I appreciate you inviting all of me to the table. <laughs> thank you. All right, we're good. Good, Harry. Well, then it's a wrap. Thank you, JP. Yay! <laughs> so thank you, Rob. Such a pleasure talking with you, my you friend. You too. Thanks a lot. Am I allowed to ask what JP stands for? Just perfect. Ah. Ah. <laughs> and, and my mother thinks it stands for Jonathan Patrick. Right. Okay. Well, she's obviously deluded then. <laughs> yeah, but I will let her own her perspective. <laughs> Great. Well, look, you've cool. given me more than enough time. Thank you very much, JP. Rob, thank you for having me on and for being awesome, brother. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.